Yesterday, I flew home from, I was in New York City writing songs and recording songs with a bunch of friends in the heart of Manhattan. And I, I flew home, and I was tired, to say the least, going on a couple hours sleep. And I, so I didn't talk to anybody. I was a really good Christian. But um, I was just kind of zoning out. And this sweet lady sat next to me, and right when we landed, she talked to me. And I was like, oh, I can handle some small talk. We landed. I'm getting off the plane. <laughs> and so come to find out, she was, she was here visiting her family who lived. She goes, they live in Santa Maria. Have you heard of that or whatever? I'm like, yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've heard of Santa Maria. And so come to find out, um, my sweet seatmate brought her entire family, and so they're here somewhere in this section, but can we just give a big round of applause? Oh, there, hey, she, I love you. Actually, come up here, I, I wanna talk to you, because she, she looked at me, man, like an 85-year-old saint, and she looked at me, when I told her I was a pastor, come here, I'm gonna start crying. When, she told, when I told her she was, I was a pastor, come on up, let me help you, sweetheart. When, 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 when I told her I was a pastor, she said, oh, oh, you stay strong. And when she said it, you know, it was like a grandma speaking into your spirit. I was like, I'll stay strong, I'll stay strong, I'll stay strong. And so, and so she, she told me, oh, I have to be in church. I have to be in church. And so she brought her family. And so it's just so good to welcome you. It's Vi, correct? Yes. Vi. Do you, would, you, uh, would you feel comfortable saying a little prayer for us? Yes. Okay, let me have you say just a little prayer of blessing. Check, check. Go ahead, sweet. God is so wonderful. Thank you, Lord, mm. for using me. As you send angels sit next to me. Mm. Because my heart, when I go visit my children, I wanted to go to the church and the angel picked mm. the pastor next to me. And I said, Now I can see your love. Thank your you. Your love, Lord. Who am I? You care for, old lady. But you know, God is so wonderful. He never failed his love. You trust the Lord and you see. The Lord will do something to make you strong to believe us. Yes. To Lord. believe us to hold on your own on your faith, Lord God. You died on the cross to save us. To go to heaven, you already prepared a place for your children, Lord. Bless your children. I thank God. Appreciate for your love. I see. Be give us an honest to hold on you until you come back. You are very soon you will come back and you already prepare a place for your children. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. That's the pastor, Lord. Yeah. It's a work for you. God bless you. Amen. 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 You're such a beautiful saint. Thank you. Somebody come. Oh, thank you. Oh, that was an unexpected blessing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many is happy you came to, the, to be with God's people today? Thank you. Hey, we re, can we all just say that? We receive that blessing. Come on, she doesn't live here. She lives somewhere way off in Georgia. But we receive the blessing you just gave our church. Thank you. Thank you for having 
We, we just, oh, so special. <laughs> that's just, that's the good stuff right there. That's the good stuff. Oh, I don't really, I just, I want to pause. I want to pause. I'm sorry. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And we're just so blessed, God, that as Paula prayed, there are many of our, of our brothers and sisters today, and, and as the church prays, who are facing impossible situations. But I thank you that you have people just like Vi in every nation and in every place to encourage and to build up those in faith. And so God, we ask that you give us eyes, like she had eyes, I didn't even have eyes to see her, I was tired, but she had eyes to see me. And now all of those in this room and those watching online are blessed because she had eyes to see. So God, I pray, open our eyes like you did Vi's eyes to see all of those that you have, quote, seated next to us. And that we would be there not to have to be the hero. We're not the hero. Jesus, you're the hero. But that we would be available to your spirit. And so I'm just so grateful, God, for sending my adopted grandma, if I can say that, all the way from Georgia to our church. And we just welcome more of those stories in and through our lives. Amen and amen. What a special, special time. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Let's do one more. One more. One more. Ooh. Thank you, Jesus. Well, guys, open up your Bibles. I'm going to try to make, como si say, rapido. Because the, the saints are hungry. Amen. But how many know he wants to feed us with his bread first and then turkey next? Turn to your neighbor and say, bread first, turkey second, or ham or whatever you like to eat. And before I go on any further, because the way the kingdom works is it works through honor, amen. I'd like to just honor Charles, brother of Charles, for bringing the word two weeks in a row. Can we just thank him again? And just, a, just a dear friend and a brother that I'm, I'm, I'm really just fond of. And... Uh, so, 1 Kings chapter 18, I wanted to preach a preparation message for our altar conference. Has everybody heard of the altar conference? I have my dearest friend, Pastor Todd Puckett. He's flying in from Seattle to be with us, to minister. He carries a huge heart for God's people, for God's presence, and for God's people to understand the privilege that we have to stand in prayer and agreement and in praise with God to release the kingdom of heaven on earth through that partnership. So you don't wanna miss our altar conference, friends. Come, come, clear your schedule, do whatever you gotta do to be here. And we're gonna have extended times of worship. How many love to worship and to dance and to clap and to just lift up Jesus together? 
all one of you, praise God, but more are going to be here for that, amen. So there's a passage in a story that really captures the necessity for building an altar, clearing the rubble so that God can send the fire of his love and presence. And there's no other story that I know of that articulates the necessity for God's people to do the work of preparation and repentance and building a place for God to come, move in power, and then not move and then leave, but then to dwell among us, amen. How many believe that God does not wanna be a occasional visitor to his sons and daughters? He doesn't want to be the grandma, no offense, that only comes once a year around the holidays. How many believe that God wants to set up a permanent residency, a permanent dwelling place, Monday through Friday, uh, every day, three, six, you know what I'm saying, every day, not just Monday through Friday. Come on, Lord, help me. How many believe that God wants to dwell among his people every moment of every single day? So that's what God wants to do. So 1 Kings chapter 18, a two-minute preparation. God was Israel's king for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Just read Genesis all the way up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. There, we skipped all those books and chapters. See, two-minute intro. And then God's people asked the prophet Samuel, we want a king like every other nation. To which Yahweh, the covenant God, said, it's not you and your leadership, Samuel, they're rejecting, it's actually me. But I'll give them a king anyway. And so up to this point, Israel, really, even though they struggled with sin and rebellion and idolatry, they lived under a theocracy, God was king. And then they asked for a human substitute. And I want you to know, humans are always a crummy substitute for what God wants to be in your life. Amen. And so he gives them a king. Amen. But thank goodness, God already saw Israel's future rebellion. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God actually told Moses before they even had a king, when you ask for a king, here's his restraints. Here's what he should do. And his number one job as the king was to serve as representative for the people for one thing in particular, stay faithful to the covenant. Stay faithful to me. You knuckleheads are gonna ask for a king in your future. It's gonna be not what you had hoped because when that king gets power, power is going to corrupt him and the kingdom he leads. Amen. So in 1 Kings 18, there's already been multiple kings and it's never really gone well. Shocker. And in 1 Samuel chapter, 18, chapter 8, when Israel asked for a human king, I circled at one point, I don't remember the exact number. I wanna say it's in the ballpark between 15 and 20. God warned Samuel and the people, now that you asked for a king and you don't want me to be your king, here's all the things he's going to take 
and grab for his own purposes, like 15 negative things. So Israel's reeling, they're struggling. Now they've got these kings who are corrupt, and this king is no exception. Maybe one of the worst kings of all of Israel's stories. His name's Ahab. That's the five-minute intro. I'm sorry. So 1 Kings 18, Elijah is a prophet. Everyone say prophet. He's one who hears from God and just says what God says. And prophets in particular are a gift to God's people because prophets, true prophets, care supremely about one thing. And what is that one thing? Stay faithful to Yahweh. Prophets aren't just for what they can say to make our ears tickle, our hearts warm and happy. Prophets, their singular task are always to bring us back to faithfulness to God and his call. Amen. And so if you're a king who is corrupt, you don't like prophets. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you're corrupt, you don't want a prophet to tell you to be faithful to Yahweh. Nah. And how many know we live in a generation that would rather be told untruths that make us feel good than to have someone stand up and tell us the truth. And even though that truth cuts us and hurts us, that truth and its thread lead us to the only place called freedom, fullness, and flourishing, the truth that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so this passage is relevant for us today is what I'm trying to say. So I got him. Let's go. So starting with verse 16. So Obadiah, one of the only faithful in Ahab's court, he went and told to meet Ahab and told him, Ahab, Elijah's coming. Oh, and by the way, Elijah prayed and it hadn't rained for three years. So Elijah's kind of cool. When he saw, when King Ahab, the corrupt king, saw Elijah, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and you followed the Baals or Baals, depending on how, who you ask. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And go ahead and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, this is a direct showdown. Everybody say showdown. Elijah is the prophet who burns for faithfulness to Yahweh, but because Ahab is intermingled and married a, a, a foreign woman who brought all of her foreign gods, and now the foreign gods, like all good wives, she has very, very strong influence over her husband, amen? Any husbands out there? Or maybe not amen, but you know what I'm saying. And so Ahab has like lost his marbles and his mind and his heart for Yahweh and Jezebel, and that's why we get the, the term Jezebel spirit, she came to coerce, to dominate, and to manipulate. Everyone say that, coerce, manipulate, and dominate, to control. And so we see Israel shifting faithfulness from God, from Yahweh, to these various pagan Canaanite gods. In particular, that Baal is the god of storm, the storm god or the, the rain god, and Asherah, the fertility god. So you have sexual immorality, Asherah poles, and then you also have the god who sends the rain. So in other words, 
the one true God, Yahweh, the creator covenant-keeping God, who is the one who spoke and shaped and sustains all of creation, is now being uh, dismissed as the one true God. And Israel, because the human heart has to worship something, they, 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 they agree to begin to worship these crummy substitutes for the real God. Am I talking to anyone who's ever settled for a crummy substitute for the real God? We call it idolatry. So, it's not going too good. There's a drought, and interestingly, oh, this will preach. Like I said, Baal, the Canaanite god Baal, was the god of rain and the god of storm, and isn't it interesting, the god that they're worshiping cannot even deliver on what his name actually represents. So if you're worshiping the God of rain, but it's not rained in three plus years, is it time to go back to the drawing board and ask yourself, is the God I'm giving my fidelity to really a God after all? Did you guys get that point? Is that just a holy hush? So the God they're all worshiping cannot and will perpetually fail to deliver on its promise. How many of you have ever walked down a path of idolatry, whether, whether it was a sexual sin or a substance abuse or your career or your body or your, your beauty or your age or whatever it was, and you grasped at that thing, but every time you thought you grabbed it, it was like sand that went through your hands. It always failed to deliver on what it promised. And here, because idolatry and sin at their core desensitize us to ultimate reality, which alone is found in God and the truth that he possesses, they can't see that the God they're worshiping is not only not delivering, but they actually think, that, like as we see in this story, they're going to double and triple down and hoping that he'll deliver. Now help me out with someone's famous Einstein quote. What is the definition of insanity? And how many know sin introduces its own kind of insanity? We keep thinking, if only I had that, it would make me happy. If only I had that, I would be satisfied. If only I was a little bit more thin or a little bit more wealthy or a little bit more, a little bit lower, a little bit more. And how many believe that there is a lot of little bit nores that will never equal the sum total that alone is found in faithfulness to God? That was a good, it's good. You'll never. And so the God of rain, the Canaanite substitute idol God, there's a drought, and so Israel has a problem. How many know we need prophetic voices who will speak the truth in our blindedness and our deafness because only through that prophetic, sharp, spirit, born, wrought, and given word are we, do we have a hope to be awakened from the slumber that sin sets over our hearts and minds and lives. And so Israel is dull. How many have been there? How many have been in through seasons of dullness where you're like, I don't hear from God, and you're just, it's cloudy and confusing and chaotic. Anybody in the room? This is where we need the voice of God, the word of God. All right, hurry up. Let's go. Let's go. Verse 20. So Ahab sent the word throughout all of Israel, and they assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Dum, dum, dum. And Elijah went before the people and said, this one, one verse is the whole thing. How long will you waver between two options? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Hold on. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said, in the silence of the people's inability to make their choice known in public, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Baal has 450 prophets. Go get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let him get cut into pieces and put on the wood, but don't set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull. Put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Help me out here. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So the people who are the ancestors of the God who rescued them from slavery to Egypt, who fed them with manna in the wilderness, who parted the Red Sea, who caused water to come out of rocks, who gave them quail, which didn't go very well, <laughs> who destroyed the five big kings in the promised land, and then 31 total kings, so that the, the Israel that didn't even exist as a nation and a people, those people, when asked to give a account if Lord is God or if Baal is God, they're silent, but until Elijah lowers the bar and goes, okay, if you need more evidence of the fire-sending, faith-covenant-keeping, creating God, we'll do one more showdown. And I want you to know I'm so glad that God always has one more in his pocket for our unbelief. Ooh. Silent. If he's God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Silent. Okay, let's have a showdown. What you say is good. Aren't you thankful for that one verse? Am I the only one in the room that is thankful for another go, for another opportunity? So the prophet challenges the people. That word in the Hebrew for waver is to limp. And so here's the idea. Sin, listen, man. Sin always promises and fails to deliver in the long run, and what it does is it actually diminishes your humanity. So you begin to limp, you begin to waffle and to waver. How many believe God has more than limping through life for his sons and daughters? And so in, in the wavering of the opinions and because of the sinfulness of Ahab and Jezebel and, the, and the, the, the veering off of faithfulness to Yahweh for the entire nation, they're limping through life. 
they can't even make a choice between a God who represents rain when it's been three years of doubt, drought and a prophet who has the courage to stand up against 850 from the opposite side and say, the God who answers by fire, he's the Lord, he's the one we're to serve, what you say is good. And I want you to know wherever your heart's at today, there's still a God who answers by fire. And as you're, maybe you're limping, you're, you're weary, you're, you're waffling like Israel, like you're waffling in your opinion on is God trustworthy, is he good, and is he worth my full affection? I want you to know this passage is for you today. And the fact is, because of God's claim on humanity, he will not let us just limp. Eventually, you'll come face to face with the ultimate question, which is, who will you serve today? Who will you trust today? And if there's one massive reason why we're doing the altar conference, when we're doing it, because how many believe that many of us in the church have experienced a long and long, never seemingly ending season of wavering and waffling from the pandemic? Am I the only one? Like, who am I trusting? It was my health, it was my job, it was my financial situation, it was my friend circle, it was my place and culture, it was my hobby. And when all of those things got shuffled and in many, in many ways altered, maybe forever, many of us are left with, if the Lord is God, is he really God? Or were those other things I was looking to for my significance, my security, and my comfort, were those things? Now, if those things are shaken, what are you and I left with? Who are you gonna follow today? This passage is for us, the post-pandemic or current pandemic church, wherever we're at, I don't even know. And the reason I wanna do the altar at the end of the year is because many of us seek God for the next year when the next year calendar's already happened, but how many know he wants to speak to us here at the tail end of 2021 to give us a corporate and personal burning vision for what he has for the church in 2022. And so we, want, we don't want to limp out of 2021 and then just limp through 2022. We want to set our hearts to seek the face of God together and to get a fresh word for our orders for the road ahead. Amen. Amen. Verse 25, hurry, hurry. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bowls, prepare it first. Since there's so many of you, remember 450 verses one, call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bowl, they prepared it, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. That's a long prayer meeting, folks. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they made. At noon, I love this, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, <coughs> sorry. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or <laughs> maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he needs to be waked up. So they shouted louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their cultic custom. Until their, look at this, the language is so until their own blood began to flow. You will always become like the idol you worship. This bull on an altar to Baal, the false god, 
is obviously bleeding. They cut the animal for sacrifice. And this is just a prophetic picture. That thing that you give your ultimate allegiance to, you'll ultimately become like that thing. And there's only one option on the planet for all eternity that more of equals more and more life, and his name is Jesus Christ. The only one who's expansive enough, wise enough, beautiful enough, like tantalizing, glorious, irresistible to give him allegiance. There's no door on the back end of that choice. It's just more and more and more and more. Settle for a bail, for an idol, you yourself start bleeding. You see the irony. That was the word I was looking for. The irony. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the evening sacrifice. <sighs> but there was no response. I underline this in my passage. There was no answer and no one paid attention. <sighs> Is that incredible? No response, no answer, no one paid attention. As if it couldn't get deeper, I was studying Baal and the Canaanite god Baal, and not only is he the god of, of, of the rain, but he's also the god of the storm. And so not only has he not provided rain for three years, now he couldn't even provide one strike of lightning for the fire. So this is, he's got two black eyes. The idol has two black eyes. <laughs> there was no fire, only frenzy. And I want you to know, friends, we are in a cultural moment where there's frantic reaching and grasping for idols and for ideologies to help solve the only, all the problems of our humanity when there's only one who can save us, the man, Jesus Christ. In verse 30, and, 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 and this goes without saying, but God is patient. He'll let us get all the way to the place where we finally realize there's no one on the other end of the line of my idol. How many have ever experienced you didn't like it in the moment, God's patience to let you choose what you wanted long enough until you realize, man, maybe I ought to consider a different option. And I would argue until we actually get there, you probably won't consider the other option. Am I talking to anyone today? So in verse 30, after he let them do this crazy ritual, they're bleeding, they're cutting, it was a part of their, their practice. No response. Can you just imagine 450, like are they bandaging each other up? Just imagine that moment. Just exhausted from all of their frenzy and all of their worship. And then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him and he, look at this verse, this is the point. And he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. So Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the, the word of the Lord had come past tense saying, you shall be named Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar to the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood, and then he said, fill four big jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. 
do it again. I love we sang that song today. Do it again. And they what? They did it again. Do it a third time. What? And they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. Now, answer me this, saints. What is probably the highest commodity in the land if it hasn't rained for three years? Say it again. And who is the false god that supposedly represents what your entire nation is lacking? Baal. Do you think Elijah is like, is he a little bit feisty? <laughs> Let's get some water that your God couldn't provide, and that is the hottest commodity, and no doubt that which is most costly. Let's just throw it on a sacrifice. Now, if you're the people, you've seen 450 people bleeding and bludgeoned from their own cultic practice. And then you see a guy step up and in confidence of who is on the other end of his line, he's like, come to me, get close. I know you're exhausted like I am. That was miserable to watch these knuckleheads all day try to get a false god to send fire. It's like, come here. I just, Elijah's the man. I love James 5. Elijah was a man just like us. That's, we don't have time. But do you, can you just shake your head? Do you see the irony? This is a master story. Come on, close. They're this drenched in water. Who knows? Maybe it's the last four jars in the kingdom. I didn't say it's in the Bible. I'm just, I like, I don't know. Put it on the altar. And how many have tried to light something that's wet on fire? And how did that go for you? <laughs> Does everyone just feel the tension of the story rise? <laughs> the first thing he does before God sends the fire as he gives him a place, a landing zone for that fire. That's the altar. Oh, that's the altar. And it's not any old altar. It's an altar built on the covenant promise of God. It's got 12 stones. The God who sends the fire is not in a frenzy. He's a God who honors his promises and his covenants. He's not like Baal, checked out, on a vacation, deep in thought, indifferent to the reality of his people. He's the God who's just waiting for a place and a people who say, God, right here, this is where we want you to send the fire. Come on, somebody, say amen. God, right here, we wanna build our entire existence on the faithfulness of your promises. God, right here, we believe your covenant is true and it's irreversible and unshakable. It's the only solid ground we can stand on to face the storms that are and that are coming. Send the fire right here. It's drenched. There's no way Elijah has a matchstick from 2,000 years, 2,500 years later, however long. Wasn't invented yet. He didn't have a flint knife. This is an impossible situation, save God answering by fire. Altars are everywhere in our culture. They're in our hearts. They're in our homes. They're in our workplaces. They're in our neighborhoods. It's anything you build and then you place on that thing to get at significance, purpose, meaning, security, comfort. There's altars. We may not see stones everywhere, but there are places that we place ultimate hope and affection and allegiance on. Say amen if you agree. We want to build an altar to the one true God. So, 
Okay, last part. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. Imagine. And he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again to you. And then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil. <laughs> it also licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I want you to know, yes, thank you, God. He's so good. We are in a moment of desolate drought. God wants to send the fresh fire of his spirit and love on a people prostrate before him who just say, Holy Spirit, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence of my life, there's gotta be a people who possess and are filled and consumed with your jealous, refining, purifying love. There's gotta be a people who have fire on an altar, God, in our generation. How many believe that this alone is what serves as the definitive proof that sets aside Christianity from every other world religion? The personal presence of God. And I love it. If you do the preparation, you don't have to pray that long. Lord, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Answer me, Lord. So that all these knuckleheads will know that you are God. Come on. When you're praying in agreement with the purposes and promises of God, you have all of heaven ready to release the provision of God. Whoo! You! And I love it. As if it wasn't, wouldn't have been cool enough for the bull to be consumed. We're about to have some consumed bull, some, some uh, ham. or That's not bull, but turkey, whatever. Not funny. But friends, I want you to know, God doesn't just want to t visit you. He wants to consume you this morning with his fire and with his love. And then I said, and it ends, it ends, it ends, it ends. I gotta be done. Elijah commanded, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. Come on. I, you know, I love that part. They seized them and Elijah brought them to the Kidron Valley and they were all slaughtered there. It's pretty gruesome, but it's, it's amazing. But here's what it, here's what it represents. Many of us, listen to me, here's the point of that. Many of us have contingency plans to fall back on if full-heartedness towards Christ doesn't pan out the way I wanted it. Ooh, I said it. If I really go all in and I lay my life on the altar and surrender to Jesus and I give up my rights, you know, basic gospel stuff, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me to flourishing. 
I got abundant life for you on the other end of your submission and surrender. And many of us are like, I'm kind of interested, but if that doesn't work, then how about my career, my, my bottom line, my, the second house, the nice car, whatever. And I want you to know, God demands more than a half-hearted, diluted, compromised yes. He's like, I want you to burn the bridges, go all the way in. I want to consume you completely with my love. Why? 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 Because a house divided will not stand. And beloved, you and I are his house. We're his house. He don't want divided affection. In fact, Jesus is like, don't even try. You can't serve two masters. There's only one that when you serve him, it actually leads to the life you could never grasp or get on your own, but only flows by gift and by virtue of receiving and responding to it moment by moment. It's called the gospel. Life to the full. Stand on your feet. We'll, t- we'll do the next part of the story. I'll send a YouTube or Instagram because the next part is like the cool the even cooler part, when we do the preparation and agree with God, then he, it, it's, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm going to share that later. But how many would say, Chatty, I've been wavering and waffling, but today I believe the Lord, he is God. And I want him to send the fire. If that's you, can you just lift your hands this morning? It's not a magic. You don't have to humdrum anything up. You just say, I want every idol, every Baal and Asherah, anything I'm leaning on or looking to for significance, comfort, security, safety, identity, purpose, whatever it is, I'd say today, I, I want to say like the people after the fire fell, it's the Lord. It's he is alone is God. He alone I want to serve. God, you see our hands today. This isn't just hype. We say today, send the fire, Holy Spirit. I thank you for 120 believers. You sent the fire, and that fire has been burning perpetually on the inside of you. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, you are a consuming fire. You are a God that burns zealously and jealously in love over his people. And God, I ask that you would loose the power of your spirit, that you would burn up our idols. Thank you, Jesus. You are the last definitive once and for all sacrifice. We're not sacrificing to gain favor. We're laying our lives down today to say we stand in your favor because of what someone else has done on our behalf. Jesus Christ, thank you, God, that you raised up your son and father and son sent the Holy Spirit to a waiting, longing, and ready people. Lord, we wanna be those people this morning. We wanna be a people who stand at the altar and say, Send the fire, Holy Spirit. Would you come and purify our hearts, baptize our minds, cleanse us of sin, wash us of all unrighteousness, that we would be a people who don't waver and limp through life with a bunch of contingency options, but who go all in to say, the Lord, he is God. Jesus Christ is Lord. He reigns, he rules, and he saves. It's him alone that we give full affection, allegiance to. And so, Lord, I pray, consume our church. Let Radiant be a church that has fire deep on the inside of us and that that fiery love that refines and that transforms lives around us as you send us from this place. In the name of Jesus, we all said Amen. amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Say it with me. Send the fire. 
Oh, come on, help me. Send the fire. I love it. I love it. Let me pray for our meal, and let's just continue. No one leave. We're going to have way too much food. When you leave, go through those doors and go eat a bunch of food. How many are encouraged today and provoked to just say yes? Just say yes. Yes, Lord, yes. I don't know all that that means, but I'm in. I want you. So, Father, bless all of those who provided all the food we're about to feast on. I pray for blessing around every table. Lord, I pray you'd continue the work you started in this room, in that room. Let's go deep in the love of God. God, I pray, open our eyes to see our friends around us like we've never seen them. Bless the conversation, bless the prayer times, the shared stories. Holy Spirit, you are the one who's prepared the table for us. And now send us with so much joy, so much life, that we'll just be grateful to feast with Jesus at the head of the table. In Christ's name we pray, amen? Amen.